What's up, everybody? Before we get the podcast started, I just wanted to remind you that we have merch for sale, official podcast merch. You can go to the link in the description of this very podcast and go to our Teespring account and get a shirt, two coffee mugs, and a COVID-19 custom mask with our logo on it, because why not milk this pandemic for all it's worth financially? So uh, again, the description to our merch is in the description of this podcast. On to the show. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 209 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Tuesday, yeah, uh, December 8th, 2020. Sorry, I had some gum on the roof of my mouth there. That's why it sounded like I had dentures in my mouth just then. Um, I'm Josh Cannon. I'm here with my reliable plow horse of a co-host, Mike. Mike, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Um... I uh, finally got a day off. Uh, I actually got another day off after today. So, and then it's back to the grind uh, to uh, run in the plow in a in a different uh, profession. Um, <laughs> I uh, just recently ordered on Amazon a new Blue Yeti uh, X microphone. So, uh, probably by the time we do the next podcast, hopefully, or at least a podcast after the next podcast. Um, should probably hear a uh, upgrade in, in sound quality. I guess we won't spend too much time dicking off on this podcast because uh, I got a gig in like an hour that I got to leave. So um, these are two uh, classic Unsolved Mysteries. When I say classic, I mean the old, original Unsolved Mysteries, yep. not the fucking new Netflix one. Um, Which gets a thumbs down from me. Yeah, so you said Netflix <laughs> sent you something in the mail about yes. that? What they send yeah, you? Yeah, it was an email. It was an email. It was an email oh, uh, okay. that uh, said, uh, do you like this show? Uh, would you recommend this show? It was like thumbs up or thumbs down. And I'm like, Batista and WWE. It was like, thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it the fucking body slam through the table. It's 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 done. Yeah, I mean, I saw that whole thread on the on the uh, group, the fa- our Facebook group. Uh, which, if you want to join, just go to the group section in Facebook and search "Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries." But I saw the discussion going on, and honestly, I, I kind of agree with Tony's point, uh, where he was saying that uh, you should have given it a thumbs up because then they'll have a chance. I don't to agree k- with that. Keep improving. Because here's the thing: it's I don't agree with the idea of oh, just give something a thumbs up so that they can keep it moving. I've seen nothing to suggest that they will change their format or change their style, which I think is the most uh, is the biggest problem with this new series. So, uh giving them thumbs up and giving them a pass for, you know, especially the second volume, I, I think that's just going to make them double down even harder on this this format. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. But 
what will most likely happen is they'll just get canceled. They're not like I don't think they're Netflix is going to Netflix t- tends to cancel a lot of stuff anyway. Yeah, so I don't think I don't so. think Netflix is giving them like the latitude to like make changes. It's kind of like if, if No, I think they can. They could probably make the changes as if, if they wanted to. Like Netflix isn't really the one that's making this show. Uh it's uh yeah, but a different production company. They're housing the show as an exclusive they are but it's something that you know there could be another deal that could get made uh in unsolved mysteries as an ip that has enough of a following that they could probably find something else i'm that just being saying said, i'm just saying i think netflix is a little more flexible than you think like if uh especially right now uh, when they have so much extra competition in the streaming platform, I think if you know the producers decided, hey, we really want to kind of go back to the roots of Unsolved Mysteries and do like shorter cases, and you know, still maintain the same kind of uh, uh, visual style from this new show that's similar to more of the uh, familiar uh, recent true crime sh- shows, but we want to make it more of an anthology show again. Because we're really stretching out some of these cases too much. Uh, I'm just saying that if enough people give it a thumbs down, which I don't think, I don't think it's going to be the case. I think a lot of people are going to give it a thumbs up. I think. A, a- I don't even think that it's really necessarily something that goes to Netflix. I think this was actually just something where it's like, hey, do you like this? So we can recommend more shows that are similar to this. Well, it would go to Netflix, but maybe you're just you, maybe you're refer- referencing their algorithms or something. Yes, like, that's it, what I think it is. It goes- because when I looked back at it, it was saying things like, "Oh, would you know? Would you like more content like this?" Basically, and I'm like, kind of, but not exactly like that. I don't want to see the woman in Oslo. Oh God, know? Jesus Christ! If I, had to, <laughs> if, I had to, if they did a season three and it was nothing but cases like that, I would call. I would write them an angry letter and be like, "Please cancel this show. Uh, <laughs> this is this is absolute garbage now." But I, my, I will say though, if the show gets canceled this last time, they're not John Cosgrove and Terry Moore. They're not going to do another. This is it. I no, mean, they're not. They're not going to do and, another and, Unsolved Mysteries. But to be honest, I think they just made the wrong decision from the start. They It doesn't necessarily mean they needed to have a host. But, you know, the anthology format with multiple cases, uh, it, that was a big part of Unsolved Mysteries' identity. And with a lot of these true crime shows, that would have made it stand out so much from all the other ones that are that are, you know, on the true crime channels. Right. And, and have more... Like ID... Have more um, reenactments and less, you know, interviews with where I'm having to just stare yes. at a person's face up close with a super HD camera where I can see every like crack and wrinkle and brown tooth and nose hair. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> like I don't want to. You know, it was fine in the original with the fuzzy ass <laughs> standard definition where they just looked, you know, like a uh, one of those vanity. Pictures you Looks get like this smeared Vaseline all over the lens. I, yeah. I, dude, I honestly love that look. I re- there's some. It, yeah. I mean, you talk about nostalgia. Like whenever I see something filmed with that, those old, you know, Panavision or whatever they use cameras for uh, television uh, back in the day. Like I, I just, I love it. To me, HD looks so, so. Uh, I don't know. It, it's 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 its own look, but I don't think it should be by default the look for every show. 
It's a, it's, a, it's almost like the, on Netflix, uh, especially with the original series. It's like everyone's like out racing to see who can get the most expensive camera to make the most crispest looking HD picture possible. When really you're missing the whole focus. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries wasn't a show that was meant to look crisp and wow this looks great on my uh, 80 inch tv it was supposed to set a mood with how it was shot the fogginess yeah. the graininess of the film the shadows the the way that they use lighting i mean jesus sometimes um, it looks like some of those scenes was shot on like a super 8 camera or something you know yeah. but it like that totally sometimes adds to the freakiness of it um and then you know ramp up the campiness a little bit in in the new one you know it takes itself so goddamn seriously yeah. sometimes you know and it's like i mean uh watching uh the fraud segment we're gonna cover like that really did show an, another big part of the charm that is missing oh from yeah this new so much charm now uh despite the uh rough nature of this particular case i'm going <clears> to <throat> talk about there are some moments of of charm here the halloween party which i'll get to so uh i wasn't completely off base but anyway, uh, this is the case of Reggie De Palma. Uh, he is a child molester. Yeah. So Reggie De Palma was a Danbury, Connecticut firefighter and once a respected pillar of the community. In 1978, he organized and ran a local explorer's post for the youth of his community. His girlfriend, Connie, was a co-leader of the organization. It became a popular after-school activity for many teenagers in the area. Uh... This is the kind of stuff that probably would have only been popular back in the late seventies. Yeah, agreed. That uh, nowadays it, it, the the kid would be like, "Fuck you! I'm going home and playing COD." Yeah. <laughs> Do you think any like kids now, teenagers now, they'd be playing Fortnite or some other shit? Like they're they ain't gonna be. They just be on their phones. To, they'd be on their phones. And I, and I know it's such like a like th- that that comment I just made about the phones. It's got. A, a lot of boomer energy to it but it's just true man i'm not even like i'm not even like scathing maybe they maybe they might not be like on, they might chat with their friends on uh facetime or something or, or zoom or, or stuff like that they might do that as well. i mean to that end it's like i can't sit here and act like when i was a teenager i didn't just go home and get on my desktop computer which yeah, was that's what lot, i did too i mean which was, i mean i didn't go to an explorer's post <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, whatever I was, that I, was, I was fat. So any kind of any kind of thing that even uh, hinted at sport in any way, I was against just because I was like, "Fuck that! I'm gonna get out of breath. I'm not gonna do that." Um, well, this wasn't really sports. Well, yeah, but I know, I, I but, but that's what I would have thought <laughs> if I heard the name. I was like, "Explorers Club." That sounds like there's gonna be physical motion, climbing, physical motion <laughs> involved. Fuck that! I got ice cream to eat. <laughs> Why don't girls like me? Uh, anyway. Starting to sound like Mr. Plinkett over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you also a big fan of pizza rolls? <laughs> now get back to work! <laughs> okay, so... Um, his girlfriend, Connie, was a co-leader of the organization. It became a popular after-school activity. Uh, one of the teens, Diane, felt that they were very nice and trustworthy people. Um, sadly, if you watch enough episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, whenever somebody tends to say that, 
<laughs> in this show, some bad shit's about to go down. Yeah, something really bad's about to happen, and these people are uh, not very nice and aren't very trustworthy. Yeah, pretty much. About ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> uh, pretty much saying that I thought, and then segue into whatever they're about to say after that. It, it, it's it's a pretty good spoiler alert that something bad yeah. is about to happen. They're like, we felt that they were re- initially. We thought <laughs> that they were, you know, just absolutely wonderful people and and just the best uh, uh, human beings, but. Uh, uh, then uh, they raped and murdered someone, and then uh, they they weren't very uh, nice, let alone uh, worthwhile human beings. They were just garbage. Uh, I, know, I mean, I know you said you may you just said you're like uh, you know you're trying to be um, you know <laughs> exaggerating in the sense that when someone re- would react by saying after they raped and murdered people, we found out they weren't very nice. But I swear, some of these like. These uh, 80s and 90s era parents are literally that generous with uh, how not scathing they are towards some of these people. Like, they'll interview the parents sometimes, and the parents would be like, Well, we're just really unhappy and unsatisfied with how this man murdered our daughter, and we would like to see this young man behind bars. And it's like, Wow, okay, (laughs) you are a very generous person with how. Well, at the same time, could they really get away with, you know, talking shit on, you know, a show that was... Fuck this piece uh, of trash! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they could just just bleep it out. I mean, that'd be funny if it's like, beep, you, you mother beep, you know. (laughs) Although there have been some where, you know, I hope he, you know, burned, you know, rots in hell or some of that sort of stuff. But not very often on this show. Yeah. Yeah. Like a mainstream audience, they had to play it for, I guess. And you know, it was mainly like older people and all that, so they probably didn't want to just be like, "My goodness, oh heavens, <laughs> oh my just goodness!" Like... <laughs> I've just realized I haven't had an orgasm in thirty-five years. Oh heavens, oh. that's you don't hear that for heavens. That one very often. Oh man! Yeah, we're getting off track. We, we're <laughs> earning that one star review, baby. So, um, by 1981, the Explorers Post grew to include 15 girls and 10 boys. They often met at the fire station and were trained in first aid. You know what? That's pretty, uh, pretty helpful. You know, um, but I have to think the other things that happened weren't. But uh, I have to think to myself, like this is a popular after-school activity. They're teaching you first aid. I'm thinking to myself, the dudes went because there were chicks there, bottom line. No teenager <laughs> is going to go to some bullshit like that and learn CPR and shit in their, in their spare time They're probably for fun. thinking in the back of their head, like, dude, like, do we get to do like live uh, CPR on, like, on Cindy? Oh, that's, total, that's <laughs> yeah. totally what they're thinking. Are you kidding me? That's, yeah. that's, a, what, I mean, that's what I'd be thinking. Oh, there's going to be chicks there. You know, let's go. I wonder if there there had to be like a Beavis and Butthead like first aid like CPR class. Oh, well, there was like a segment. There's a billion episodes of the sh- of that show, so I'm sure there was. Or a, a bil- so, billion segments, I should say. <laughs> so they often met at the fire station. They were trained in first aid. Often training was interrupted by emergency calls. 
The teens idolized De Palma, and he became a role model for them. Another teen, Terry, was very close to De Palma and his girlfriend. By the way, these names are pseudonyms. They aren't actual, they aren't the real names of these people. Uh, they changed their names to protect their identities. Uh, I like the variety of the way that the different interviews with these uh, these women were shot. Like, there's one of them is like shot from a f- side profile angle, you know, with the shadows yeah. and everything. And then, you know, the other is just like up front with like most of the shadows just covering up uh, her face. Var- variances so a- of, of silhouetting the uh, person. Yeah. You don't see that very often. Well, I think probably because there was like so many, you know, victims that, that you know, they, they probably wanted a way to kind of like differentiate the different like silhouetted people, I guess. Yeah, I think I don't think that's necessarily the only reason. I think they were also actually looking at aesthetics, which is something that the show was pretty well known for at this point. At in one time. point in their in their existence, they were. <laughs> so uh, in October, uh, the group organized a haunted house to help raise money for the upcoming camping trip. <laughs> uh, this haunted house scene Dude. was the epitome of '90s charm and cheese. Oh, it looked like something you would have seen in an episode of Roseanne oh, or, yeah. or Home it, Improvement. The set was like a Spencer's Gifts wet dream. <laughs> Just all the cheese. Yeah, but yeah, it was yeah complete. Like like it literally reminded me of the uh, Home Improvement Halloween uh, episode where yeah. it was in their basement or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which Tim always hit his head on the pipe when he walked. I loved that. I don't know why as a kid I loved that fucking gag that every time Tim went in the basement he hit his head on the pipe that was above the stairs. I don't, it might be just the way that Tim Allen reacted, you know, when well, that I didn't know. I was just funny because like you, you would think that he would have learned that that was there, but every time there was a scene yeah. when he walked, even, even in the Halloween episode, he was dressed up as a, like a zombie or something. He's like, children, I'm coming down. And he hits his head still. He's like, ow. <laughs> it's like, even then they, they didn't, they didn't lose the gag. I don't know. I'm a simple minded person anyway. But, uh, with this haunted house, you know, it's got the blue lighting and you got a fog machine on. It, it's just, it's, it's got that, you know, 90s uh, creepy charm to it. Uh, how, my, um, how Mike put it before we started doing the episode, uh, you said something to the extent of uh, the, the Halloween or the, the haunted house scene was, uh, you know, wor- made it worth watching just in and of itself. Like it was worth watching just, just for that scene or yeah. whatever. It was, because that was just a fun, you know, trip down memory lane. Um, Also, uh, that segment is pretty funny. If you, uh, that particular part of the segment is honestly pretty hilarious. If if you rewatch it and you, you uh, look for a certain thing. So when the kids go down the stairs, uh, a skeleton falls from the ceiling and it like scares them. But there's all the camera is also focusing on this kid in a skeleton outfit, and he's popping up and he's like supposed to scare them, but they are so focused and zeroed in on the skeleton that falls from the ceiling. The kid that's in the skeleton outfit goes boo to nobody. <laughs> they don't see him. And then he just leaves and <laughs> runs off screen. They were they didn't even see the fucking skeleton. Like I can't believe like the director was like, "Hey, cut!" Like that. 
hey, you know, we need to re- redo this scene. Is that <laughs> or they just didn't give a fuck? They were just like, ah, whatever. Is like, that just something you observed on your own, or was that noted somewhere? No, that's something I observed on my own when I when I watched this oh, that's uh, funny. segment today. That, that just go- that just speaks to your um, years of movie uh, critiquing and, and and you know watching movies and because I I never would have caught something like that. Yeah, that but is, it's hilarious though. It's really funny because it's just like boing, skeleton falls down. The kids go ah, and they don't even react to the, <laughs> to the kid in the skeleton outfit. He's like, "Fuck this shit." <laughs> I tried. So, um, this is where things get actually legitimately really scary. Like, not in a Ooga Booga, uh, spooky Halloween house kind of way. Although this segment kind of laid a little, uh, some, some elements a little too thick when, uh, uh, Reggie is talking to, to, uh, Terry. He, uh, asked her about having a boyfriend and having sex. And at this point, she's like only 13. So this guy's a fucking creep. And he said that he wanted to teach her about it because he was her friend at the time. And initially she felt a little irked about what he had said. Uh, irked is is a uh, is one way to put it. A very light way to put things. Um, but in this segment, what I mean by uh, laying things on too thick is like as soon as he's like being this creepy pedo, like they have like an evil laugh in the background. You know, like like that corny... Uh, laugh that you would hear like from one of those like talking uh, uh, skeletons or whatever at like Spencer's where it'd just be like <laughs> so it was it was a little a little bit uh, laying it on a little too thick because um, they were just trying to they might as well just stamp like evil bastard on his forehead yeah but which he honestly he was but you know so Connie then came up to her and asked her to come back to De Palma's apartment with her. She and Terry uh, then apparently, uh, I don't think she, she had Terry take a shower to get the makeup off her face in the haunted house. She, well, she wasn't even wearing any makeup, by the way, because in, in the in the scene, uh, Connie's like, "Hey, do you do you want to come back to our apartment?" And yeah, let's take it. No, she was wearing some. No, like, she wasn't. She, she, she was, was com- wearing. She was completely barefaced. I don't know about that. No, I, I, I do think know. She was, I, I literally was like, she's not. She's literally not wearing ma- any makeup at all. Well, I thought she was wearing like the the witch makeup. No, go back. You know, like the dark. Go back and watch it. I, I'm, I'm telling you, she wasn't uh, wearing I, any makeup. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very <laughs> fucking minor detail to bicker about, but I just I just thought that was like. Again, I didn't again, see it folks, that way the, myself. The, the, the charm. But, you know. All right, Mike. You know what the fuck? All right, this is what's about to happen. <laughs> this is what's about to fucking happen. You done pissed me off now. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it at? Unsolved Mysteries. All right, Mike. T- tell me what kind of makeup she's wearing. Please let me know. Because I-, I just... Uh, it-, it might be the lighting. Man, you just but don't want to be wrong, do you? No. I. It's just there's there's very little... There's no like, makeup. It's very small. None. Nil. I, I don't normally see... Uh, you know, people with lips that color, but okay, it might just be, it really just might be the lighting. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I see this being B-roll. If, at, at, <laughs> at, at best, this is B-roll. At fucking best. 
I'll probably just cut it out, to be honest. Anyway, um... She goes back to the apartment. <laughs> she goes back to the apartment, uh, and uh, she tells uh, Terry to uh, take her makeup off, and uh, she goes and takes a shower, and uh, after the shower, she comes into De Palma's bedroom, Terry, where uh, apparently De Palma forced her to have sex with her, have sex with him, while Connie watched. Connie, Connie just, which was his girlfriend, his adult yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, Connie was, yeah, his adult girlfriend. She was just sitting there, did nothing. I guess she was fine with it. So tragically, Terry was not his first victim and would not be his last. Diane, also 13, was raped by De Palma. Uh, over the next year, he continued to sexually abuse girls in the Explorer's Post. Finally, the girls that had been raped by De Palma got together in a group, and one of them decided to tell her mother. Her mother immediately called the police. Investigators questioned the girls and did everything they could to try to help them in their tragic situations. Several of them claimed that he forced them to drink alcohol before they were raped. When the truth came out from the girls, De Palma was arrested by police and charged with five counts of child molestation. His girlfriend Connie was questioned. She later pleaded guilty to risking injury to a minor and was given a five-year sentence. One year after the arrest, De Palma went on trial for the rapes. On the fifth day of the trial, he went to New Haven, Connecticut to visit his sick mother and disappeared. His car was found in the hospital parking lot. The trial went on without him. And on October 25th, 1983, he was convicted on all charges. He was sentenced in absentia to 20 years in prison. However, he remains at large, and he never served a day of his sentence. But he was actually captured in the summer of 2000. And in America's most wanted viewer's tip, because this, this case is also covered on AMW, led uh, investigators to De Palma, who was arrested in Florida after 17 years on the run. Well, I wonder how many of these con- these cons, these you know, uh, pieces of shit and crappy uh, convicts uh, wound up in Florida. Well, you know, here's the thing: Florida is a place that makes everyone feel warm and welcome, and it's just unfortunate that it also makes uh, pedophiles feel warm and welcome too. But that's just the nature of Florida. You can't blame Florida for being such a warm and welcoming state. Um, full of warm and welcoming people there are people out there who abuse that that um amazingness that is florida and he was one of them and i won't hear anything different i won't hear anyone try to say oh florida is where all the sleaze bags go no it's because we're warm and wonderful and um we just make everyone feel so good <laughs> that's the only reason why people go to florida so i Do won't you hear truly believe that yes, Josh? yes i am the florida man your heart of hearts i am the florida man defender I will defend any Florida man story I hear, and I will say how it is actually fake news that they're trying to <laughs> make Florida men out to be stupid and crackheads and all that. When in all actual- what, what about the guy who wanted to mow your lawn? That guy was from Michigan, I'm assuming. He had, he had more <laughs> of a uh, Michigan vibe to him. Uh, that, that, was not, that was not a true Floridian. At all. So, uh, he, De Palma was uh, living with a wife and three children using the alias uh, Lawrence Mateo. He was taken back to Connecticut and sentenced to 21 years in prison. Boom! He was released in 2014 
And as of January 2015, he is a registered sex offender in the state of Connecticut. Good. As he should be. Absolutely. It's also one of those things, like, I understand why it'd be difficult to vet, you know, uh, employees, you know, to to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Um, But it, it still would be, in my opinions, it would be worthwhile to try to see if there is a way to kind of maybe like a, a psych evaluation or something. But, um, I, I totally understand why, you know, a lot of this sadly still kind of falls through the cracks because, you know, the, there's a lot of people that come across as like these really nice individuals, like they're trustworthy, you know, they're, they're people that, uh, you would want to, to uh, be around your kids because they'd be, you know, a, a good role model for them. And, you know, it's people like Reggie uh, that, you know, give those people a bad name and also have made it so a lot of parents don't do a lot of this stuff as much because they're like, we don't really want to put our faith and our trust in a stranger. Yeah. No matter how nice he appears, you know, on, on, on the outside initially yeah like i don't have kids and I, I haven't been in that world where i'm even around kids for so long like i don't even i couldn't even i can't even wrap my head around a situation like this um i just know that um my aunt like so my two female cousins i had I had two female cousins growing up i still do because n- neither one of them have died so technically i still do have two female cousins but growing up i remember my aunt was always really um, protective of them. And like, even like family was not above, you know, scrutiny because like at my grandma's house, we'd have this game room in the back that had the super Nintendo Uh, dude. Even after like PS two came out, the, the de facto gaming system at my grandma's house was still super Nintendo, which I thought was hilarious. But um, (laughs) Yeah, like, we'd be all back there, and uh, my aunt would just walk back and, and look, peek her head inside every now and then and be like, hey, everyone doing all right? You know, like, just making sure yeah. the the cousins weren't diddling the other cousins, and it was, just, and honestly, it kind of, uh, I, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but it kind of, like, insulted me, like, that you would, that she would even think that, like, any of that would be going down in there. Yeah. You know, because it's like... But then there's kind of a little bit more to that story that doesn't involve me that I really can't get into. But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> bringing up awkward shit on the podcast. So um, I don't really have anything else uh, to say about this case. It's um, unfortunate. It's always unfortunate when these kind of things. Uh, happen, you know, when oh, I get, I have, I have something shattered and lost. I have something to add uh, that, that I um that went, that kind of went across my mind. So the investigator lady who was invest who was like helping the children with their cases and all, mm-hmm. uh, I guess at some point she eventually uh, interviewed uh, Connie, the adult girlfriend of De Palma, and yeah. um. Man, if this if this uh, detective lady did not make her seem like she could not have made her seem uh, less culpable, she's like 
you know, when I interviewed her, you could tell she she would do anything for De Palma, and she was so insecure in their in their relationship that she was willing to even go this far, and she was just totally making it seem like De Palma was the the puppet master, and you know, her culpability was is dubious at best, and it's like, man, fuck all that shit. I don't care how insecure of a person you are. If you're dating some guy and he's like, hey, if if you really love me, you'll, like, you know, watch me do this horrific thing with a minor. Dude, fuck that. You're not... Exactly. He didn't ha- ha- have a gun to your head the whole time. No. You could have... You could have went to the fucking police, you know? Yeah. So fuck you and fuck the... It, she kept doing it too, multiple times. Like it, it, it's insinuated that this wasn't the first time and like the last time that she went along with it. Yeah, so, so. that was ver- very uh, intellectually dishonest for the investigator uh, to uh, kind of portray her the way that yeah. she did. I, that that being said, though, the investigator, I think she was the one that mentioned like she interviewed like uh, the one of the girls that was molested, and she like. I think she said something like, I couldn't sleep that yeah, night. Yeah, she's like, it was so it sick, was so sick the stuff that, you know, they were yeah. describing and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, anyway. All right, let's move on past that disgustingness to um, another form of disgustingness, which is taking advantage of an elderly person. Yes, taking advantage of people. Financially. And, uh, their trust. Hey, this is the, uh, uh, you shouldn't trust people. <laughs> Uh, uh, an episode of of the podcast or uh, untrustworthy assholes. Uh, that's 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 a that's a good one. Losing one's faith in humanity. Cast. <laughs> Isn't that like every almost every episode of this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> is losing faith. Pretty much in humanity. Yeah, yeah. Action Park. I mean, McMillions. Uh, uh you know. Uh, any talking about any of the new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries makes me lose lose faith in the production team of Unsolved Mysteries. So there's losing yeah. faith in that. John and Terry, mm-hmm. um, in general. Anyway, uh, this is a, a fraud case. We love our fraud cases. We don't love. This is also a forbidden fraud case. Oh, naughty, naughty! You're not allowed to see this one, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, that wasn't racist because I wasn't imitating any particular nationality. It was just kind of an overall thing. So this is the story of, uh, I should say this is the case, because when I say story, it sounds like some shit I just made up. This is the case (laughs) of Danny Marino. Um, it's unfortunate because there was a football player named Dan Marino, yeah, Dan Marino. But uh, this is Danny and, uh, Marino, or Daniel Marino, however... If- well, he's also he was also called Dan Marino in this segment, too, so... That's, yeah, unfortunate. Um, all right, anyway, Danny Marino, Al Tom Nelson, and his son Ricky Nelson were con artists with a specialty, duping elderly victims into various home improvement projects and then vanishing with their money. It is suspected that the, they target the elderly because they believe they will not be prosecuted if the victim dies. Jesus yeah, because they're just cold-hearted uh, snakes. Now, um, this segment has some of the best opening narration from Robert Stack. I, I wish I had, you know, was able to transcribe it because it was so uh, awesome. 
because he's talking about you know how uh he you know they do not uh attack their victims with knives you know that kind of thing you know they attack them you know with other things um i completely forgot it uh what what uh, it's like they attack they attack him with their cunning or their charm their their charm and then he said yeah yeah so um in the fall of 1988, oh, little Joshy C over here would have only been a few months old in the fall of I 1988. I wasn't even born yet. And the world was a better place. Oh, that was mean. I didn't have to say that, but I did. I did, Mike, and I don't regret it. Um, I don't know what that was. Yeah, that's very believable. Anyway, in the fall <laughs> of 1988, they targeted 81-year-old Harlan Nelson, no relation to the Nelson father-son duo, who lived alone in Eagle Rock, California. He was supported by... Because that would be extra cruel. Can yeah, you imagine that shit? family, yeah. Well, that happens all the time, though, honestly. Um, he was supported by a pension fund and his $100,000 $100, life savings, which in 1988 was probably $250,000 in today's money. So it's a lot of money. Marino pulled up to his house and told him that it needed several repairs. I love, I love that. He just randomly pulls up and is like, hey, uh, your house is broken. Well, I mean, uh, in, it, in the reenactment, some, some repairs, the reenactment, he's like, he's like, Hey, uh, I was just doing uh, roof repairs in the neighborhood. Oh my goodness. Your house is beautiful. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, your roof needs a blah, 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 blah. You know, he's with his fast talking jive, you know, he's, yeah. he gets the old, the old fart to, uh, you know, give in and allow them to do. I work. mean, other people, you know, like like you and me, like we we would we wouldn't fall for this guy's shit. We'd just be like, yeah, sure. If I'm outside, I I, so. I, I I don't know. I'm kind of a crappy neighbor. I don't really like making small talk with my neighbors. I yeah. don't. I, I want to know as little about them as possible. And conversely, I want them to know well, as, as little about me as possible. Spraying, uh, weird random shit on your roof. You probably like. What the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Where You might initially be like, oh, he's trying to do a good deed. You know, I believe in the good in people. Yada, yada, yada. Until he charges he you starts... $6,000. Well, yeah, exactly. But then once he's spraying weird shit on your roof, you'd be like, Get, what the fuck are you doing? Just making it worse. So anyway... Um, he claimed Marino claimed that there were problems with his roof that needed fixing. Harlan agreed to let Marino and the Nelsons work on the roof. However, he noticed that they were using bizarre methods to quote unquote work on the roof. He was even noticing that such a, like, such as spraying it with a garden hose and cleaning it with a mop, <laughs> which they show. They didn't mention that part in in the segment. They just mentioned they were like pouring this weird unknown liquid yeah well they showed they showed that that's what they were doing they had like a hose up there and they had a fucking mop um afterwards they gave him a bill for six thousand fucking dollars which he paid for making a mess on your roof (laughs) (laughs) for doing what uh happens in summertime in florida every fucking day raining on the roof for water being on your roof and, and cleaning off some debris, as the English might say. Um, no, but they made it worse. Like there's like this like colored liquid or some shit. So now your roof is like covered in this colored liquid. You know, like it got slimed. You know, during the Nickelodeon, uh, you know, Kids Choice Award ceremony. So 
Soon Marino recruited several others to be involved with his scheme. People he claimed were his family and friends. Uh, soon, or he told Harlan that his house was in desperate need for major structural work. Which, if you're not into construction, I mean, I, I imagine it's easy to just walk up to someone and, and tell them that, and it'd be hard for them to know whether it's true or not. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think if if your house needed major structural work, you would kind of know that already. No, I mean, dude, you could you? literally find you could literally find a crack in a wall somewhere and be like, "Oh yeah, you're the structural uh, the structure house is yeah, shifting." It de- it de- it depends on what your knowledge is. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's really what it comes and down most to. Most people aren't yeah. going to have and it's 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 just like taking your car to a mechanic and they you go for an oil change and then they tell you all this other shit isn't is fine now but if you keep driving it uh you know you're just going to get into a, a horrible accident so you really need to get your timing belt fixed or your engine block well, I mean has at a crack this point it. though I don't understand why he was still you know trusting them I mean he already knows they were doing weird suspicious shit on his roof I honestly think a lot of it was intimidation that yes exactly a lot of it was intimidation Especially once he came in with his entourage. Yeah. Uh, patchouli oil smelling, you know, uh, just absolute, you know, shitheads. Where'd you get patchouli and, yeah. oil from? They weren't hippies. They were a bunch <laughs> of Mexicans or something. I don't think they were Mexicans. They're more like an Italian kind of some kind of Some kind of Hispanic or, or Italian or something. Anyway, um, yeah. so... Uh, <laughs> Marino and the Nelsons pressured Harlan into one repair after another. The crew virtually took control of his life, answering his phone and driving him around. This is just insane. And in the reenactment, <laughs> they just showed like the whole gang like coming to the door, and they yeah. just all start walking in like a bunch of like a reverse clown car, where instead of the clowns yeah. coming out of the car one by one, they're going in to his house one by all these randos it reminded me of uh that movie the money pit with tom hanks when they hired those uh the the uh construction crew to fix the house it's just all these fucking crazies coming in and just wrecking shit and so on and so forth yeah Um, it goes without saying i have not seen that movie but that was actually happening for real and when it comes to this particular uh case which it's it, it, the whole scene looks like something out of a comedy, you know, but it actually happened for real. Yeah, and and, and like also in the re- reenactment, they're literally like just chilling in his backyard, like lounging, eating snacks. They they, they, they looked through his mail too. Like they they took all his mail. They were look they were reading his mail. They were you know driving around for errands. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? You know. Driving her around for groceries and shit. <clears throat> and, and then Did they he, put him on a time limit. Do they? You gotta wonder too. Like, like on some level, did he at least enjoy the company, being like an old man, maybe who uh, lived by himself? Um. One day he noticed that only a few of the people were actually working. The rest, including Marino and Al Tom Nelson, were sitting around and eating. One of the female workers even brought Harlan's mail to Marino and Nelson. Uh, finally, Harlan was contacted by the police. They had been alerted to the situation by uh, his personal physician. Investigators discovered that over a five-month period, Marino and his cohorts had systematically looted almost all of his fucking life savings. Uh, 
In reality, the team of con artists had done nothing except slap some paint on the porch while pretending to work. The swindlers had ransacked Harlan's personal papers and found his bank books. Marino and Al Tom Nelson then tailored their fees to account balance sheets. To his account balance sheets. They even accompanied Harlan to his bank, forcing him to draw cashier's checks to pay their bogus charges. They also threatened to have a lien put on his house um, and have it taken away if he didn't comply. Except, uh, in, in, in the reenactment, they didn't really, you know, they didn't say lean. They were just like, we're going to take your house away. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's some kind of fucking mobsters or some shit. <laughs> like Goodfellas over here. In the end, the con men stole $95,000 from his savings. When Marino learned that police were involved, he dropped from sight. He was later charged with extortion and grand larceny. A few weeks later, officers noticed an advertisement in the paper run by Al Tom Nelson. A sting operation was set up where an officer pretended to be a homeowner interested in Nelson's work. Uh, this scene is just glorious. <laughs> Al, <It's... laughs> Al Tom and Ricky claimed that there were problems with the home's roof that needed fixed. At the time, at the same time, an officer pulled up with a previous victim of the scam. She identified the Nelsons as the men involved in the scam. The officer, who had also been a roofer for several years, asked the Nelsons about their familiar- familiarity with roofing. He asked them about a C-39, which they <laughs> claimed was a special machine used to clean the roof. The officer then told them that a C-39 is actually a cr- contractor's license for a roofing contract. Now, I can see why some people would watch a segment like this and think it's corny or it's cheesy or whatever, but that's part of the charm of the reenactments. So when when the police officer he's like uh you know do you have a C39? It's like oh yeah we could get a C39. Uh um what do you know exactly what a C39 is? It yeah uh, it's a it's a it's a machine that they use to clean the roof. <laughs> uh then the officer uh the C39 is actually a contractor's license for a roofing contractor. You're not roofers. You don't know anything about roofing. But we are roofers. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that the the acting, you know, the line delivery. Yeah, but we are roofers. Like I said, it's it is it is campy and and just so enjoyable. Uh, the Nelsons were arrested and charged with felony grand larceny. Uh, bail was set at a hundred thousand dollars each. However, it was later reduced by half. The Nelsons then posted bail and vanished. Nearly- is it- in this in the segment the narration said it was inadvertently later reduced like how do you inadvertently reduce bail maybe they meant to say inexplicably i don't know okay maybe uh, but even inexplicably like why was it even reduced i don't know mike i don't fucking know let me finish the sentence <laughs> go ahead the Nelsons then posted bail and vanished nearly 4 years later marino surfaced 3000 miles away in monroe pennsylvania in October of 1992, a tip led authorities to the fugitive. He was using the alias John Dean. Yeah, that's totally a not a made-up sounding name. Uh, his bail was set to one million dollars. One million dollars. A few weeks later, it was inadvertently reduced. There's your inadvertently. It was inadvertently okay. reduced to a hundred thousand dollars. The con man's friends and family helped him post bond. He promptly disappeared and hasn't been seen since. Sadly as, Marie, sadly, as Marino and the Nelsons had hoped, their victim Harlan Nelson passed away in 93. 
However, the authorities have stated that they are so confident in their case, they do not plan to drop a single charge. Um, Marino was the 100th fugitive arrested thanks to viewers' tips. An update to his case was featured on a special segment that aired March 2nd, 1994. Did they, like, uh, fire off confetti guns and shit? In like the they office, do, like, with a special... In a like, yeah. No, no, I mean, like, as soon as he gets arrested, you know, because he's the 100th fugitive arrested... Thanks to viewers' tips on unsolved mysteries, they have this big celebration and shit. Uh, you know, like uh, when somebody is like the uh, one millionth customer or whatever. Yeah, I mean they had a celebra- I mean, one of the bonus um, features on the ultimate box set was uh, the two hundred fiftieth uh, solve celebration thing, where they they like yeah they did they do celebrate that stuff. Um, Stack in particular was super happy, yeah. you know, whenever that's, I mean, you know, well, I, I mean, mean it, it makes sense. They'd celebrate in the office, but I was just thinking of a hilarious situation where as soon as he gets arrested, you know, it's just like confetti. Well, Robert Stack just walks up into a police car with one of those like poppers that shoots out confetti. Congratulations. You are a hundredth fugitive arrested. Then he just slaps him in the face and walks away. He puts the club around his, uh, his wrists. I love that. Just re- reminded me of that inner office tape that surfaced on our group of uh, of the staff oh, yes. that the staff made of uh, yes. working behind the scenes. That was man. I bet Is it was that a Christmas one. It was something like I that think too. Yeah, that, I bet that would would have been such a great like place to work for. Like a great. Sh- I mean. Not only is it a good show artistically, but you're actually making a difference. You know, like how often yeah. can you say that about you know entertainment? But anyway, uh, these fuckers were captured. A state trooper watched the broadcast and recognized Marino as a man he had been in contact with before. Two days later, Marino was arrested at a friend's home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, In December of 93, he was extradited back to L.A. to face charges of grand larceny extortion. In February of 94, he pleaded guilty to one count of grand theft. It is not known what sentence he received. His accomplices, uh, Al, Tom, and Ricky Nelson, remain at large. Oh, damn, that sucks. They probably fled the country. That's what they usually yeah, do. Yeah, that, that, that's if they, probably uh, especially if they, can spe- if they can speak another language. They, they that's yeah. definitely something they're probably going to do. It's probably a likely scenario, not a likable scenario. That's a two. That's two. Those are two completely different things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm glad at least one of them caught uh, got caught. I find that interesting, though. It was not known what sentence he received. That's a first. We don't really know what sentence. Yeah, you would think, think that received. would be public record, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about the case. It was just a fun one to, to talk about, just to uh, essentially shit talk Marino and pals. And the, you know, and the for, uh, reenactment. Yeah, and, and, how- and just... Uh, how fun and campy it was. Yeah. Precisely. All right, moving on to our final segment of the podcast, The Perks of Being a Josh Flower. As many of you know, I wrote uh, in in a online diary when I was a teenager all the way up until I was 24, and uh, I unearthed these diaries a couple months ago. And you guys have been taking joy in my pain as a teenager and the cringe and the uh, politically incorrect things I've said, so... Uh, we are now um, resuming at Wednesday, July 27th, 2005. Here we go. 
Hello, tomorrow I will be going to the magic fucking kingdom, LOL. Hopefully I will get raped by a large mouse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, there you go. Things escalated very quickly. And Josh there. just coming right out of the gates. Oh, yeah, Casey, your Zanga is fucked up. I can't look at it. Something is wrong with it. Uh, maybe she blocked you, Josh. Yeah, she blocked you. <laughs> um, I got Dane Cook's new CD, Retaliation. It's so damn funny. He's a comedian, and I tuned my snare drum head really damn good yesterday. Okay, I'm out. I'm bored. Yeah, I remember thinking Dane Cook was the funniest motherfucker I had ever heard when I was that age. Because, like, all that style of comedy he did, that really, uh, it had, like, this, like, immaturity and this, this, like, naivety to it a lot of people did a lot of people thought he was you know he was that was his year man 2005 2006 those were like his like fucking years where he was like just the shit um he and now people think he literally is is, is just shit yeah well he made some really awful movie choices i'm not even a big movie guy and i know that uh i'm sure you good luck chuck Good luck with that one. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen more of his movies. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, the poster for Good Luck Chuck? It is some of the most uncomfortably bad uh, Photoshop. Oh no, let me look. Let me look see. it up. Good Luck Chuck movie poster. I saw Employee of the Month, which fucking sucked as well. Had Jessica Simpson in there as the love interest. Need I say more? Yeah, it's that one. The one with yeah. Where he's like crawling on her, it looks like. Yes, yes, that one. Because Jessica Alba looks like a fucking mannequin, or she's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is really fucking weird. That is a really weird movie poster. And just the position he is in, like, and he was like, what? he was like, uh. I feel like he was in his like early 40s when he was doing or like or like late late 30s early 40s when yeah. he was doing all this kind well, I of think he also got a lot of controversy for you know for being a joke thief so that eventually there was kind of, there was uh, some killed his career as well. it didn't kill his career it d- definitely didn't help his career with the comedy elite no. um he was accused of stealing a louis ck joke which i honestly think is bullshit i don't think i heard both bits and uh i you know it's a it's a bit about having an itchy asshole and how you can't really focus on it it's it, it always happens mm. whenever you get an itchy asshole it's always at a time where you can't like focus on it you're, you're like at work or something and you can't get at it and you know louis ck had a bit like many years earlier but i mean the premise of having an itchy asshole i mean like i don't know yeah. uh a big one a big dane controversy was when he accused um Steve, uh, what's his name? He was in that TV, that short-lived TVS show, Father and Son, or Father Son. What's it, what was it called? What? Uh, no, it wasn't called Father and Son. It was called um, the fuck TBS Father uh, TBS show. Steve Sullivan and Son. Okay, Sullivan and Son. Oh, Steve okay. Byrne. Okay. So, uh, that's the first time I ever heard of Steve Byrne. Okay. <laughs> so there is a stand up comedian named Steve Byrne, and, and it's actually, there's a great, uh, double, uh, there was a great Mark Marin podcast where he had Dane Cook on, and, and then in the next episode, he had on Steve Byrne or the other way around. So Steve Byrne started out doing stand up in LA, and, um, Dane Cook accused Steve Byrne of stealing his essence. 
And that mm. became the soundbite that everyone started mocking Dane Cook with is like, oh, Dane, you know, don't steal my essence. And, oh, I, I, I don't want to steal Dane Cook's essence because uh, that that was the thing that everyone locked it down on because it was such a, yeah. a crazy, uh, almost like like super narcissist level mm. thing to say, like, don't steal. My, because he felt like Steve Byrne was being him. He felt like Steve Byrne was copying his shtick, his energy, his nuance. Um, and so a bunch of things like that happened. Uh, then he he put out uh, this comedy special called Isolated Incident. And it, how it was hyped was that it was going to be unlike anything uh, anyone had ever seen in comedy. I was really looking forward to it because uh, I was still a fan of Dane Cook, even though I will say my my fandom was waning at that point because, you know, it, it, it's kind of like cheese pizza as a kid. You fucking love it when you're a kid because, like, your taste buds are very simple. But then, like... After a while, you kind of want a little bit more out of your comedy. You want to, you want to like go outside of the comfort zone, and you know, yeah. Oh, let me try a little bit, a bit of a David Cross, or let me try a little That's bit. That's kind of like uh, how I feel about uh, Tosh. Uh, I never. Uh, okay, so Tosh's first CD, uh, our first album from Heaven or whatever, was pretty good. Uh, it was pretty funny at the time, but that's another guy that like I just I don't know. There's like. There's a certain kind of like darkness I very, want. Very cheese pizza. Yeah, kind of. I, I want. Yeah. I want a little bit of darkness in my comics now. Like I, I like like Louis. I think was like the. He's he's. I don't know. I think him and like Todd Berry, uh, David Cross. Those are some of my favorite comedians. Uh, Pat Oswalt to a certain degree. Anyway, um, yeah, that was a little. <laughs> that was a little. I used to really, really be into stand up and the comedy scene and all. I've, I've, well, I mean, he actually did some stand up. So yeah, I mean, that's that. I think that was when I was really when I really got like balls so wall into it was when I was like actually doing it. But um, yeah. Anyway, I remember Amy Schumer way before she got big. All that she was like big in the underground scene, and then when she got when she blew up, she just became a cringy embarrassment. Um, yeah. Do you think that the hate is more is like? 100 percent justified or is oh it yeah a little yeah bit i mean I, I think she legitimately is a joke thief uh i think she's made yeah. i think she's made a lot of bad missteps she's made a lot of contradictions i think she's not alone on that though in comedy no but i mean, I mean there's there's a lot of she got you know, thievery going on she got the uh she, she got the spotlight thrust upon her though so yeah you know that's kind of the price you pay i mean uh, like let's say tomorrow my band dancing with ghosts gets super famous and we have three million fans uh depeche mode's gonna be caught uh their their people are gonna be come knocking at our door saying hey give us royalties because you covered our song enjoy the silence you know because we yeah. i mean i i credit yeah. them in the album notes but like they're not getting any royalties from that song and again, this is something I probably shouldn't uh, leave on the podcast, but <laughs> Mr. Honesty Hour over here thinking only two people listen to this shit when, who knows, Dave Gone could be listening to it every every week. All right, moving on. Um, Saturday, July 30th, 2005. So, yeah, I just got back from the Magic Fucking Kingdom, and it was eh. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about it, eh. Because Steven brought his friend Kelly, which is a guy, by the way, and Kelly, uh, my friends, is an annoying little bitch. I dis <laughs> I dislike him very much. 
And yeah, Stephen got caught smoking, so now he's out of commission for a very long time. And then we went to Disney on the second day, and it rained the whole time. So yeah, that sucked really bad. Then I got a wicked piss of migraine, or maybe it was a headache. I'm not sure, but on another note, the note of C sharp. I thought I was so clever back then saying shit like that. I don't want to go back to school. I think I'm going to kill myself before school starts. That's how dedicated to hating it I am. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to try and quit smoking because I'm tired of dodging and darting from getting caught. It's too much work, and it's not worth it. And now I get out of breath when I do simple things. So, yeah, I think I'm going to try. Nothing good ever comes from it except a good buzz. Ha, 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 in all caps for I don't know why. Uh, I'm hyper. I'm going to go play my drums now. Oh, and I got a wicked... (laughs) I got a wicked piss of bl- blista on my little toe. Bye. Yeah, I remember from Boston now. I don't know what what was up with any of that, but um, yeah, I remember. Uh, well, I remember we went to uh, Disney and we went out on the front, like the little tiny little, you know, those cheap hotels. How if you're on like the second or third floor, you have a balcony that's literally like three people can stand on comfortably, and that's it. Uh, my aunt and uncle went off to Olive Garden to get some to go to bring it back to the hotel for us. And then like, as soon as we left me, Steven and his friend, we all went out on the balcony and, and lit up our cigarettes. Now I was like 16 or so he would have been 15 or 14. So we were like young kids, like smoking cigarettes. And like, I guess his mom forgot something and she like looked out the window and we were like, oh, shit. And we dropped the cigarettes real quick and stomped on them. But, dude, she clearly saw it. But they didn't. Yeah. But they didn't act any different when they got back. So we like, yeah, we totally got away with it. Nah. And then like, it's like when you get caught when you're, you're watching something on TV that you're not supposed to when you're a kid and you just quickly flip the channel as soon as you, you know. Yeah, but your parents still know. Like, yeah. Dude, back in the day, like. I wasn't watching Child's Play 3. <laughs> oh, for me, it was always yeah. porn. It was always HBO yeah. at night or something. Back in the day, like old school TVs, like. When, when you had cable and they actually wired the cable into the back of the TV and there was no like Xfinity box or anything. It was like literally like the extra channels came through a cable that went into the back of your TV. Uh, you only used one remote back in the day. It was like, you know, the remote that turned the TV on and off was also the one that you used to flip through channels and all that. There was none of this three and four remote shit like most people have now. But on most old tv remotes if you had a nicer tv there was a back button where (laughs) so what my dad would do is and i got wise to this my dad would come in to the living room and if i changed something off real quick he'd be like give me the remote son and then he'd hit the back button and then it would go to like hbo or some shit and then i would get in trouble so what i would do is not only would I change the channel, but then I change it again. So if he hit back, it would go to a more innocuous channel or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the next day, Sneaky. the next day, though, at uh, Ma- the Magic Fucking Kingdom, my aunt and uncle, uh, when my cousin and his friend were away, my, my uncle just goes, goes, so how long has Steven been smoking? And I'm like, ooh, uh, I was like, a couple weeks. And he just shakes his head and he's like, I'm so disappointed in him. Blah, 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 blah. I don't think they caught me. I think they only caught him. Or if they did catch me, they didn't give a flying fuck about me. They just cared about their sweet little baby. Um, So, yeah, anyway. So, the next day, Sunday, July 31st, 2005. I went to Murray Hill last night, which was a music venue. 
It was fun, actually. I strengthened some of my friendships, I believe. And my friend Josh ignores me a lot now that he's quote-unquote famous. He doesn't think what I have to say is too important. It's all right. I see how it is, big drummer man. His band will probably get big, too, big though. I think they're going to get signed. That's no fucking fair because that, that's what I've always wanted to do. I'll say it once and I'll say it again. He's living my dream. I hate it. I start to think it won't happen for me sometimes. I mean, I'm even better than him at drums, and I can even play bass very well. Not trying to brag, just going off what other people have told me. And I can even play guitar. Why am I not in a band? It's frustrating because I know half the reason is because where I live, and the other half is who I don't know. Well, poopsies, I like commas a lot. I don't want to go back to school. Ah! Okay, I'm over it. Choose, choose. Oh, yeah, I had another dream about Casey. What is my problem? I like shortening words now. Yeah. Yeah, so my friend Josh back in uh, middle school was in this band called Our Finest Hour. And even to this day, anyone who grew up uh, who knew that band in Jacksonville will say that they uh, were probably one of the best bands in Jacksonville at that time. They were really... That was that Christian you know, band yeah. that you were, you were talking about. You did some guitar work with right? no i was never in that band they didn't want they oh, there was okay. even a moment where they needed a bass player and i was getting like damn good on bass at that point mm-hmm. and um they 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 didn't let me in the band and, and i think the reason they didn't let me in the band was because i was like really fat i think they they i yeah. i i foiled their image or whatever but jokes on them because now their former lead singer sam is fat as fuck and i look better than i ever had before so fuck <laughs> you and i'm in a band and he's not <laughs> Um, they did almost get signed, but like the second that they had a record deal in front of them, like half the band pushed out and they, they didn't sign. And then, uh, our finest hour dissolved after that. Ain't that some shit. So they never really truly had a finest hour. No, they, well, their finest hour was in 2005. That was like the peak of their fame. I mean, but when I say that it was a blockbuster, they had people around the fucking block busting the pavement. <laughs> like they had so many people, <laughs> they, they were big back then. Um, I, yeah. I was so fucking jealous, man. Because uh, he got all, he. I remember I was literally talking to him after one of his shows, and he had some girl walk up to him and ask for his fucking autograph. You know how fucking jealous I was. I was like, "That's what I want." What the fuck? Like, oh god, that was awful. Um. All right, let's see here. What else do we got going on? All right, this is a long-ass one, so I'll read this one, then we'll be done. Wednesday, August 3rd, 2005. Yeah, so I went to that landing thing, and that was kind of sucky. Okay, so uh, I didn't read a former thing because it was short and uninteresting. Basically, I went to this place called The Landing in Jacksonville, which is kind of like an outdoor kind of place with shops and stuff, but they also have a stage right in the middle, and bands would play there a lot. And I was mentioning how I went and saw Josh's band yet again, at the landing because the condition for me spending the night at his house was that I had to go to his stupid shows and watch them. I shouldn't say stupid because I actually did enjoy the band, but again, 16-year-old jealous Josh coming out right now. So anyway, yeah, so I went to that landing thing and that was kind of sucky. Okay, I went to Josh's house and I thought we would have a few hours to kill around his house. So that meant to me playing instruments and making songs and such. But no, We had to leave, like, the second I got there. The bass player, which could have been me, from Our Finest Hour, picked us up. He looks like a serious girl. 
And then we went to Jonathan's house, the guitar player. We dicked around there for a little until all the guys came. We squeezed into Jonathan's truck and drove to the landing, unpacked all their shit, and brought it under the tiny little awning they had over the tiny little stage. Then we ate inside the landing. Then I wanted to go to the CD store there, but however, Josh did not. So I went and he set up their shit and did a sound check, and they got ready to play. When they started to play... um, They played on hip-hop night, mind you. All the hardcore kids that showed up started doing the normal air kick and air punch. All the people there had a big culture shock when Our Finest Hour played, which I thought was pretty neat for some reason. Then after they played, we just dicked around for a while. It was me, Josh, and Brittany Brown, his girlfriend. Yes, here we go again, a group of three. And yet again, people, I was the fucking third wheel! Yes! I love being the third fucking wheel. I played Johnny Tagalong the whole rest of the night with them. I felt so out of place. And here I thought Josh was one of my only friends who never ditched me for someone or something else. Nope, I was wrong. This year, I need to make some damn new friends. The ones I got pretty much suck. But I don't know. What do you do? The people who read this thing, or Casey, okay, that was, that was a bad read. Um, honestly, am I just a victim of the things and people around me? Or am I just feeling sorry for myself and expecting the world to revolve around me? Ding, ding, ding. Second one, Josh. I'm really not sure what it is, but none of my other friends ever get ignored as much as me. And it seems like they always have people that want to be around them. No one wants to hang around with me. I kind of don't care, though. I mean, I am kind of a dick to everyone. Okay, we got some self-awareness flowing here. Good for you. Maybe that's my light bulb moment. Yeah. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe if I was, like, congenial to people, they would like me. Who knows? Wow, 16-year-old using the word congenial. Good for you. But after that, Josh wanted me to spend the night, which would have been sweet. But wait, he already had plans with one of his other million friends, Harrison. He was going away to college. I guess that was a good excuse for him to get Josh to come over. He asked his dad if he could spend the night, which, of course, his dad said, Son, that wouldn't be right. But neither Josh nor I cared, so I went home and went to bed, and now I'm here, and I fucking hate school, and I really don't want to go back. I hate it so much. But I'm going to go now. Probably not doing anything today, but tomorrow is Warp Tour. Score. Oh, man. What's Warp Tour? You don't know what Warp Tour is? No. Oh, dude, it was fucking classic, man. Um, Warp Tour was a big-ass uh, pop-punk tour that I think started in, like, 95 and went until, like, 2018, I want to say. Okay. Warp Tour is what m- broke bands like Blink-182, Katy Perry, Paramore, mm-hmm. Red Jumpsuit. They all got really big on Warp Tour. Um, okay, I didn't know that... I got to read this next one here, and then I swear we'll be done, because actually, I actually talk about my experience at Warp Tour here. Thursday, August 4th, 2005. Today was a day of school, music, and lots of weed smoke. First, I went to orientation, which was depressing, but better than I thought it would be. Then after that, we went to Burger King, then to the Warp, Warp, Warp Tour, Tour, Tour. I don't know why I had to type it like that. It was amazing. (laughs) I had a fantastic time. Shenanigans is all I have to say. I was in a pit. I assisted people in crowd surfing. I got to see a ton of bands live, and lots of people had weed and blew it around me, 
which got stinky after a while. Most of the bands that I didn't care about seeing, I didn't see. I walked elsewhere. But now I will rate what I did get to see. Senses fail. I don't care for them. Their songs sound like the same as they do on the CD, except weaker. They don't have the beefiness of the magical studio effects. Melancholin. Let me just say, fucking amazing. This and Offspring was the only reason I went to Warp Tour. They were great. Cool, Offspring. Yeah. They were great. I went to see a whole concert of theirs. I think I want to see a whole concert of theirs. I think that would be great. Fallout Boy. I don't care for them. Anything you would expect to hear from a trendy emo indie band. My Chemical Romance. I didn't. I actually don't mind Fallout Boy, to be perfectly honest. I don't really. I still don't really like them. Um, <laughs> My Chemical Romance. I didn't even really like this band until today. My goodness, they were amazing. I really enjoyed their stage show, and their songs were energetic and poppy in a good way. They have a good frontman, too. Um, Avenge Poopfold. I guess I meant Sevenfold. I don't like them. They put on a good performance, though. Yet again, don't like them. They played Epic Waste of Time, as I heard from Casey Zanga. Story of the Year. Gay hardcore band that I did not like. A lot of their songs are way more hardcore than their hit Until the Day I Die. All the stinky, angry, hardcore kids liked them, though. (laughs) MXPX, they were good. Reliant K, caught only an earful of stuff, sounded all right. Dropkick Murphys, good punk band, did good. Had the crowd come up for the last song, pretty neat. Atreyu, all right, I guess Lip Gloss and Black was a decent song. They got pissed because by the time they came up to play, everyone was waiting by the other stage to get a good place for Offspring. (laughs) Screw you, stinky, hardcore Satan band. Offspring. Awesome. I liked them a lot, although I could hardly even concentrate on their songs because of the fucking crowd surfers kicking me in the face and falling on me and getting pushed by sweaty, stinky people. Lots of energy. Crowd really liked them, as did I. All the side stages that no one cared uh, about except stinky hardcore kids were gay. You didn't miss much from these smaller bands. Overall, it was a great experience, and I will be going next year, definitely. I'm kind of burnt. But besides that, I'm grandioso. Fuck school and you. So wow, I saw a lot. I, I don't. I didn't. I didn't remember seeing like Dropkick Murphys and MXPX, Atreyu, fucking uh, Avenged Sevenfold. I didn't know I saw all those bands. Damn. I didn't even know Atreyu. Uh, I think you mentioned that they were actually a uh, Christian. Yeah, they were a Christian metal like metal hardcore. I band. didn't know that. Yeah. So. Yeah, their song "Lip Gloss and Black" is is I still say that that's a halfway decent song. Um, yeah, okay, because uh, I, I always told people that I saw one year of Warp Tour, and Stephanie is so jealous of me because her My Chemical Romance is like her favorite band of all time, and she's never seen them live. And I don't even really care about My Chemical Romance, and I have seen them live. <laughs> so it's like ah. Oh, so she's probably like. Yeah, she's definitely she's definitely butthurt about that fact. Yeah. But no, they were fucking great live though. Like I will I would definitely say that about them. Um uh-huh. and that was back when Gerard was skinny. Uh now he's he's uh he's definitely put on a few pounds, but uh you know, that happens sometimes. All right, that's yeah, that's the end of the sure. podcast. If you guys want to uh join us on Patreon, you uh go to patreon.com slash uncovering explain mysteries and for uh, a couple bucks a month, you will get the podcast early, and you can uh, give us cases to talk about in the future. Uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, I already told you I'd do that earlier. Go to the group section and search uh, on Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Um, it's a good group, very interactive, healthy community of fans of Unsolved Mysteries. 
Uh, if you want more of me and Mike, but you want us separately, you can go, uh, check out our YouTube channels. Uh, Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Uh, he's a movie guy. He uh, he he kind of likes movies. He thinks they're all right. <laughs> uh, Mike, what was the last video you did? The last video I did is a uh, rant <clears throat> on Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. I fucking hated that movie. It was pointless. It was unnecessary, uh, lazy, uninspired. Uh, there's a sequence where uh, Rob Zombie's wife, uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, who the only reason why she's ever in any uh, any movies lately is because of just pure nepotism. She's because she's fucking it's the director. Rob Zombie's wife. Yes. Because she has really next to no legitimate acting talent. She's playing her character Baby. She's in prison. She's hallucinating and sees a ballet dancer with a fucking cat head. I'm not making it up. That's an actual scene in that movie. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that movie is just uh, uh, confusing, utter, you know, nonsense and just straight up bullshit. I hated it. Um, so I did a rant on that. I uh, even uh, called it an epic fucking, a fucking epic rant. Um, I also reviewed House of a Thousand Corpses as well as The Devil's Rejects as well as more Halloween films. Uh, I did see Rob Zombie's animated movie, The Hunted World of Bill Super Bisto, and I actually, you know, had a decent amount of fun with that. So, uh, I would say that's, that's my favorite Rob Zombie movie that I've seen, is that movie. And it's still, at best, above average. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've done. I also did a video where I unboxed, uh, that's the most recent video I uploaded, is a video where I unboxed a bunch of uh, VHS tapes that I got back from my dad. From, oh, nice. Uh, place in Michigan. Um, so, uh, from, uh, my various travels in Oklahoma city when I was living with my dad for a couple years, Mike, you better get your fucking shit straight with earthquakes next time you talk about them because you're getting more shit in our group about your, your earthquake statement. I, I don't know why I, I didn't even say anything. I just said West coast. I was specific. I didn't say that across the entire United States. I don't remember saying that at all. I said on the West coast. We haven't had anything, you know, of, of that particular magnitude. And even the Alaskan earthquake, I don't think it had, you know, a tsunami that came along with it. Hey, wait you know. a second. You made this comment 14 minutes ago. That's when I was reading my Josh Flower diaries. You weren't paying attention. <laughs> ah! No, I was. I Damn, I, I just looked at the time. I got to get going. Um, all right, so if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do videos on music-related things. The last video I did was a complete review and breakdown of the new Smashing Pumpkin album, Seer. Smashing Pumpkins, not Smashing Pumpkin. Well, technically Smashing Pumpkin, because there really is only one real pumpkin. Well, no, that's not true, because... Anyway, for just strike all that shit from the record. The new Smashing Pumpkins album, Seer. And I did not like it that much because it is very formulaic. Um, it literally sounds like they took out the guitar in place for a synthesizer. The mixes feel um, out of balance because Billy Corgan's vocals are so high up in the mix. His voice is definitely kind of degraded over time. It's not as pleasant to the ears to me as it once was. Um, but if you want an in-depth breakdown of that, and I do a bunch of different things music related on my channel, um, 
reviewing albums, rating albums, talking about kids bop, whatever it is, uh, music related. That's what I try to cover on my channel. So go check that out as well. And uh, until next time, guys, have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. See ya.